just a couple of things for you real quick, and that is, and we have THX, which is coming up here shortly, which is our Thanksgiving event. I want to make sure that, that everybody who's here knows that this is something that we want to uh, ask you to be a part of. If you're a part of Outward Church, that means that on some level you'd be a part of this. And so uh, we're going to be asking you in the coming days uh, for uh, volunteer sign-ups. And what that means is that we, need, uh, we, we may need a couple of leaders still for some different areas. We need Spanish speakers. Uh, we need people who are, who are willing to do the heavy lifting of uh, some administrative tasks that is putting together packets so that on Thanksgiving morning, there are people who do not have the means to buy a meal uh, or a Christmas tree for the season or gifts or uh, things like that. And so we provide those things. And so we go to the schools and we say, will you give us 50 names? Our goal this year is at least 200 people. It really depends on how many people the schools give us. And so we're looking for 200 people to serve who are uh, in need. Um, and so that, that's what we're looking for from the schools. We're looking at even going to DHS, looking for uh, families who have um, a need who have recently been re um, rejoined together after having been removed out of the home, after kids have been removed out of the home. Uh, when they come back together, we want to serve those families and, and help them. So there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen with this, and, and so we're looking for all of you um, we, uh, to, to be involved, so serving on some level. Even if you're gone uh, for Thanksgiving, you got something you can't be here uh, to be a part of, um, we just ask that all of you on some level would serve uh, throughout that week and before there will be sign-ups for that. Next week is going to be our major kickoff for that, so, um, so money is going to be big. We, we raised $14,000 last year, which was, it was just massive for us. Just, just to give you an idea, I, I think if I remember right, it was somewhere, I think it was 750 to 850 people that are served through that. Just so you know, this, this year, I, I, I think it'll be close to 1,000 if we can get 200 names, but the, the, that's in the Lord's hands. And so uh, it costs us about $70 per family. Uh, to serve them. So that means that we're just asking people to sacrifice for this. Our, our, our desire is to see you sacrifice above and beyond what you give to the general, uh, the general fund. And the reason for this, we can boldly come and ask you to, and say, all right, we know that you give this to the general fund. We hope that if you're part of Outward Church that you're participating in that. Um, but we're asking you to give above and beyond. And that is because the resources that Outward Church has are being used for the community already. And so our desire for uh, the, the employees of Outward Church, the staff, and things of that nature are to engage in the ministry, uh, engage in serving our community throughout our city. And so what that looks like for us is that Blake Purnell, who's on staff here as uh, the youth director, he's also leading young, young Adults Group. By the way, Young Adults, you've got a taco bar today. Um, so you should be a part of that. Um, you can find out more at Connect Central um, and, and come find Blake, and he'll, he'll tell you about that at the end. Um, but uh, Blake Purnell, he's on staff, and so what he does is um, what we have hired him to do, in part, is to go serve at Richmond Elementary. So he is kind of the liaison between us and Richmond Elementary, and he helps get the church involved in what we're doing, uh, what, how we are on mission in our city. 
What this means is that we have a soccer club that happens there every week. Now, the teachers at that school, at a secular school, uh, point out to us what kids need help. And so what you have is you have state organizations who are saying, hey, church, will you please come hang out with high-risk kids? And many times churches are sitting around saying, how can we get into the community? How could, if we could just get in there? We have a school that's saying to us, will you please come serve our kids? And so we have uh, Blake Purnell who goes and does this. And, and so, and he needs people to come and serve alongside of him and with him. And so last week what we talked about was that uh, on some level or another, like our fears, our anxieties about the world that we're trying to build and the life we're trying to live is keeping us from really engaging with what God would have us do in sacrifice. And so what we're asking is we're asking people who, we're not just saying we're hoping that you're passionate about this or that you like this. We're just simply asking this, do you have a gifting that would lead you in some form or fashion to love someone? That's, and if, that's, if, if you don't have at least that, like we should, we should talk. Something like that. But to, to love someone, to go to Richmond Elementary and to serve alongside of uh, Blake Purnell as, as he is doing this. But then on top of that, let me tell you something else that happened. Leslie Middle School calls up uh, Blake and says, hey, Blake, we heard that you're doing this soccer club at Richmond Elementary. Would you come to Leslie and do a soccer club in the middle of uh, the day or something like that? And so now he's at Leslie Middle School and he's serving there. So part... Uh, what we pay Blake to do is to serve in the community. It's not just serving just the needs of Outward Church. It is how you give translates into how this guy makes his living so that he can serve in the community. And our entire church functions on this level. Like we do not exist for ourselves. We are outward for a reason. And so uh, that's incredible. On top of that, um, uh, Brandon Haverland who's been here for many years, uh, Emma Jackson, who's been on staff for um, uh, several years, I, I think it's three, four, maybe five, something like that. Um, in any case, uh, she uh, recently had a baby, and so she went on maternity leave, and so we're so happy for her that she's taking this time off. We hired Brandon to come on, take her spot while she's gone, and then to help bolster the children's ministry. But what Brandon is doing this year is Brandon is going throughout the community. He's the one getting the names from the schools. And Brandon told me this in my office the other day. The best way for me to get the schools to participate is for me to go and sit down with them and, and, and sit down with this outreach coordinators that most of the schools have and sit down with them and say, hey, we are Outward Church. We've been doing this for 10 years in our city. And for 10 years, we've been, we've been doing this, and um, we, we, we need high-need families from you. Can you. And it's a lot of work for them. they got to names, phone numbers. they got to call the family and say, can I give your name and address out? All those things. So Brandon is out working the streets, working the phones, talking to them, setting things up. And then recently, I think I told you this last week, we can't tell you where this is coming from, but we have a massive organization that has said, please don't talk about this. And so we just won't mention their name, but... Um, um, uh, but they have said, uh, when it comes to THX, Brandon went in there and talked with them, and they said, oh, you're from Outward Church. Come this way, come this way. Oh, okay, okay, guess what? We've got it handled. And, and we're kind of going, okay, how do you have it handled? Like, what do you mean you have the, the food prep handled for THX? They said, we're, we're going to cook um, 
everything. I mean, you, you need to bring volunteers and everything, but we're going to oversee everything and make sure nobody dies from eating your turkeys, which is, it's just, as I said last week, it's amazing that that hasn't happened yet, but I'm pretty sure we've done it well. And thank you very much to my brother, Tim. I know that sounds like I have great trust in him. He's the one that's run it in years past, but in any case, they said, we, we've got it handled. And, and he says, okay, well, we'll have to figure out how we're going to get the turkeys to you. And she said, no, 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 no. We'll buy it through us. We'll get it cheaper than you because we buy so much food to begin with. And so it looks like, I can't promise this, it looks like we may have cut our costs by some level. We're not, I don't want to get your hopes up, but we might have cut our costs, which means this. We can serve more families. Okay, cost us fourteen thousand dollars last year. It's uh, it, it may cost that much to do two hundred families. We, we're not sure yet. We're still in the process there. How you give to Outward Church supports the mission. So I, I want to say explicitly because this happens and it can't happen right now. I just I just want to be straight up with you. We're not in dire straits, but we need the church to give. I just need to tell you this on, on this level. We need you to continue giving because we've stepped out and said, okay, these things have got to take place. We want to continue to pay Emma while she's on maternity leave. We need to bring somebody in to, to serve in this way. We need to serve the community. And so here's how you can help. If you're not giving and you receive it at our church, would you please just consider graciously giving towards the church? We're, we're asking you to consider that. Secondly, if you're somebody who gives regularly, continue to do so. Don't just take those funds and give them to THX because it's just trading. <laughs> I mean, it's great. THX is, is funded, but these other roles and things that we have within the church get left behind. And so we need your help in that way. And the reason why I'm so explicit in talking about this right now is that every year, no matter if I say this or not, um, what happens is THX budget goes up, general budget goes down. <laughs> And so we still need to operate and still need to serve our community. And so I'm asking you to serve at THX, to serve with your finances through THX and throughout the rest of the year, to serve in, in whatever means that God has called you to. And we're going to get into a little bit more of that today. And so that's my, my little commercial for THX this year, and I'm excited about it. We're going to be in uh, Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to wrap up. I thought I wrapped up last week, but I got ahead of myself. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 46 here in just a second. I ended last week with saying, <clears throat> what I, and I'll repeat what I just said a second ago, that the way that we understand, <clears throat> the way that we disentangle ourselves from this idea that it's all about us, is that we begin to sacrifice. We begin to sacrifice. What's been going on in Daniel's life is that the king had a dream. Daniel was able to interpret it for him, and, um, and he was able to tell him what was, what was going to happen. And the king is amazed. And so we're going to pick it up right there. The king is absolutely amazed. Verse 46 of chapter 2 says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Now stop right there for a second. Here we have Nebuchadnezzar. He has conquered Israel. God has ordained that this would happen. But Nebuchadnezzar is not a follower of Yahweh. He's not a follower of God. He is, he's not with God in any shape or, or form. But uh, this happens and it seems like 
there has been real and tangible change because something supernatural has taken place in his life. Something supernatural has taken place because he said, I had a dream. You need to tell me what the dream is, and then you have to tell me what it means, and then I'll decide if I'm going to kill you or not. So it gets interpreted to him, and what does he say? Truly, your God is God of gods. Like, your God is the real deal. He's the one that's in charge of all of them, and Lord of kings, he's the one who reveals mysteries, and and I see that through the way that you've been living. So this is excellent (coughs) of Daniel, because Daniel was able to communicate this stuff. He said, this comes from God. He gave all the credit to God. And as a result, he speaks truth to power, and Nebuchadnezzar hears it, and it seems like Nebuchadnezzar's heart has been changed. It, it seems like, oh, this is, this is good. Somebody in Babylon is finally going to come to Jesus. It's, it's gonna, it's gonna have a, he's walked down the aisle. He's raised his hand. He's, he's, uh, he, has, he has signed a card. He has, he's done something. This happens a lot in our culture today. You see the power of God, and then you respond. And we believe that real change has taken place. We believe that there's been a heart that's been changed. We believe that something has taken place that's been fresh and new. And we have high hopes for those people. We have high hope. We want to see them move. But my goal this morning is to say, where are we at? How does this apply to us. It says in verse 48, then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. He gets a promotion. And so then Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. So you got these buddies They're hanging out together. They've been in the same dorm for a while. Like they're doing life together. They've got community. But then Daniel says, hey, I want you to send my my bros over to the province of Babylon. So now these guys are separated. So they're apart from each other. So chapter 3, verse 1 says this. High hopes for King Nebuchadnezzar. Good things are happening. He's promoted the Christians. He's, he's doing cool things. He, truly, your God is God of gods like Nebuchadnezzar. Don't you see that? It seems like he does. It's so incredible. Holy cow, what's going on? King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Uh-oh. That looks like idolatry. And it doesn't just look like just any old idolatry. It looks like this because this is what happened. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of this figure. It has a head of gold and silver and bronze and all, all, of, this, all of these different metals. And Daniel comes to him and says, your dream is, it represents this. You represent the head of gold. And then there's these other kingdoms that will come after you. It will, you will not last forever. You will not last forever. And in fact, all of these successive kingdoms are coming after you. God has ordained those things. And then in the end, God's kingdom is going to come in, and his kingdom is, uh, is going to be never-ending. It is going to smash to bits your kingdom. And chapter 3, verse 1, I think, tells us something very interesting. But Nebuchadnezzar did not get it. 
But Nebuchadnezzar had religious conviction without spiritual uh, conversion, as Sinclair Ferguson says. Nebuchadnezzar had a spiritual experience, but he was not transformed by that experience. Nebuchadnezzar, he, he had experienced God in a way where he was able to recognize the glory and the power of God and his subjects. He was able to see that, that this guy, Daniel, is truly smart and that his God is a revealer of mysteries and that he controls all things. And yet what happens in the end is that Nebuchadnezzar is not transformed. He's had this conviction that, yes, God is real, but there has really never been any conversion. Now, I said last week that too frequently when we look at the story of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, I have sat in a Sunday school classroom as a child with a flannel graph. If you don't know what that is, it's, it's a, it is a flannel piece of fabric and they have these figures that they stick on there. I mean, like every kid that grew up in the church during my era knows what a flannel graph is. And so I have sat through countless stories of Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace or what have you. And what the church has often said to us is that you got to be like Daniel. You've got to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But what doesn't happen, what doesn't take place, is an introspection of, but what about Nebuchadnezzar and his life? What, how does that describe what's going on? Because this, what happened here is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. So you come to the church today. And we, we sit and we have an amazing worship time. And, and, and uh, I mean, I, I, probably the best thing that's ever happened to this church is me stopping to do worship. I used to do both, set the guitar down, pick up the Bible. It was a lot of mat, all right? It just was, it just was, it was too much. It was too much. But what, what's amazing about our churches today is that we know how to program things. We know how to make things work. I don't know if you've been to a, a, uh, an elementary uh, production lately at a school. I hope none of my kids are in here right now. They're not. If you've ever been to an elementary production at a school, like you would not believe the difficulties that there are in programming just some type of, a, of event. Like somebody should get up and say what's happening right now. Like, like, somebody, like somebody should hold the microphone and somebody should EQ that thing. It sounds like, like it's like, this screeching that's coming through the speaker. Like, it's this, it's this horrific production, but the church has got it down. The church has got it down. Like, we have figured out how to make, like, incredible experiences with God. And the trouble with that is that with all of the, the good transitions and the incredible music and maybe even some, some slightly good teaching, we hope, but with all of those things, those convincing things, you could be left like Nebuchadnezzar as somebody who's experienced the power of God and has seen it, 
and yet you've not been converted. And yet you've not been converted. Because of this, because the, the gathering of God's people in a building has become a pick-me-up for you, it has become something of uh, familiarity to you. It's what your family's always done, or you've gotten into it, and so it's, it makes you feel better. Life isn't working out right now, and so you're coming to learn how to make life work. But what's not happening is true conversion. What's happening is you've had a religious experience. You've had religious conviction even. Oh, yeah, i got to stop that. But all that it's left you to perhaps, is just a lifestyle of morality that leaves you twice the son of hell that you were. Jesus says to the uh, Pharisees, who were teachers of morality, taught people to depend on themselves, he says, you travel over land and sea to make one disciple, and you make them twice the son of hell when you're done. Why? Because they're just that much more secure in themselves. And my fear for you is that somehow you've had religious experience without real transformation, without a real heart that's been molded. And King Nebuchadnezzar is an example of this. There's another possibility here too that has to do with salvation in whole. But last week we I ended by, by saying, and I, I hadn't planned on this per se, but I just said, I mean, you can look in your life and you, you can see, like, what am I giving up? How am I sacrificing for the kingdom of God? And you can see in your life, like, where you stand. And I don't know if you were impacted by that at all. I don't know that anybody said to me, uh, maybe somebody, I, I, I can't recall, that I, they were impacted. But here's the thing. You can hear a good sermon, and you could go on tomorrow and, and, or, or the next day or hour by hour and listen to sermon after sermon because fantastic preachers are available on podcast today. And you could be convicted, and you could be convicted, and you could be convicted, and you could be never transformed. You could never be transformed because all that's really happening is religious experience. Religious conviction, it's, it's convicting, and yet nothing ever changes. It's convicting, and yet I'm still just like the world. I'm still acting in the same way, like Nebuchadnezzar. And so the question is, like, whether it has to do with your salvation, like, you've never really been converted, perhaps. Everybody needs to ask that question. Or it could be you have been converted and yet there, is, there are not steps of holiness and righteousness and growth in our lives. It could be at least one of those two things. So how, how does this happen? Why does this happen? Nebuchadnezzar had specific knowledge. Your kingdom will not last forever. Another will come after you. God is in control, and he is sovereign, meaning he rules over all the events of life and of the world. He controls every speck of dust in the air. He is absolutely and finally in control, and I control which kingdoms come at which time, and ultimately my kingdom will come and destroy all kingdoms, and it will fill the whole earth. And Nebuchadnezzar's response was this, oh yeah? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah? We'll see about this. Now, whether it happens willfully or forgetfully, we don't know. We're not sure. But Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, says this. Oh, yeah, it's just the head of gold? What? Watch me. I'm making an entire figure, and watch this. Everyone's going to bow down to this. Some other kingdom's going to come and destroy me? Nebuchadnezzar has dug in his heels. Even though he's experienced God, he's dug in his heels, and he has tried all the more. It's like God is thwarting his plan. He's warning him. And perhaps God is warning you, hey, what's, what's impending on your life is that you're, you're, you're trying to build your own kingdom, and it will come to an end. Your efforts will be futile. They will be futile, and that futility should lead you to something that is eternal. And yet we still find ourselves in a place where we say, I've got to have my kingdom. I've got to build it up. I am going to create this image regardless of what's taking place. And it's pervasive in the church. And the way that we do it, the way that we as church leaders do it is we give you self-help instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's how to make your life better without Jesus versus here's the only way that anything can ever change. Here's the only way that you will not have a foundation of clay. It is through Jesus and in his gospel that we find the truth about who God is and what he is like. And so what it says next is, is this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces come to the dedication of the image. It's a big deal. It's a big image. It's, we're, there's a dedication. I mean, there was a dedication for the uh, um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, statue I can't remember how long ago. It's within the last year, maybe two years, something like that. I'm not equating that with this, but this, it is a similar type of event. There's a band, and it's a weird band. I mean, they've got the, you know, all of these people and then bagpipes, and it's just, it's just kind of strange. And the, there's this dedication, that, and it says to, to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the justices, justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. It says this King Nebuchadnezzar had set up like six times within these few verses. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. This. Like, this, this guy, it's like, do what I want, or I'm going to barbecue you. I like, I'm, I'm, you are dead meat. If, if you do not do what I want, it is clear 
that Nebuchadnezzar has not gotten it in regards to God. Because not only is he building this image, which I believe is of himself, of his kingdom, it does not say that explicitly. I'll say that out loud, but I believe it is this image. It represents his kingdom. It represents him. And in the end, he's commanding that they worship this golden image and... He says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to throw you in a burning, fiery furnace. So what is this? How does this equate to our lives? Nebuchadnezzar is intent on building an image of himself that represents his glory, that represents his power, that represents his kingdom. God's kingdom in the end will come in and destroy all those kingdoms and show how they are not glorious. He's given him a glimpse of that already. Nebuchadnezzar isn't buying into that. He's still on track of saying, I want to build an image of myself. But, you know, building statues and things like that are, are not something that we necessarily do today entirely. We don't necessarily build a statue of ourselves, but what we will do is we'll buy a big truck. It's got a, got a lift on it, got like some, you know, some 38-inch tires, whatever the popular tires are today. Get, get a big truck, and I'm going to create an image of myself. That, that was me. That's what I did. I had 35s, not 38s. I'm sorry. I lied. You get a, get a big truck. You, you, you create an image of yourself, or, you, or it happens through... The way that you're, you're living your life and you are creating this image. For men, oftentimes, this image that we're trying to create is an image of power. Men come into life oftentimes, at least in America, and they say, here is how powerful I am. And you might say, I don't act like I'm that powerful. Well, that is saying, here's how powerful I am. I'm not that powerful. So there's insecurity or there's pride that says, I have made it to the level of power that I believe should be. I've created the image that I desired, or I haven't created the image that I believe is expected of me. And so men come into the world, and they bring with them this idea of, here's how powerful I am. This is, this is what it's like to be me. I, I possess this much power, and I can show that power with the way that I live my life and, and, and the things that I dream up. I can build an image of myself. But women oftentimes, I believe, do a similar thing, but not with power. It's with beauty. When they come into the world, they say, this is how beautiful I am. And you might say, I'm not really touting my beauty. Well, that's where your insecurities lie, because the image that you want to be or that you've been trying to build hasn't been reached in your estimation, although in God's estimation, you are beautiful beyond belief. But that beauty that you've been trying to build is the image that you've been trying to create. And so the things that we buy ultimately lead to the image that I'm building. Nebuchadnezzar adorned his statue with gold. It may have been solid gold. It may have just been plated. But either way, there was at least a veneer there of gold. 
This is, this is how powerful I am. And we come to the same world and we say, I want you to recognize. I want you to see. I want you to bow down and worship the image that I have created. I want you to see how incredible this image is. And guys, do you know that you can come to the church and life may not be working right for you or, it, or maybe you just grew up in the church as kind of old hat for you. And the truth is, is that it never has gone from the ultimate recognition that this is about God's kingdom and ultimately everything that I do will pass away and his kingdom will fill the earth like a mountain, it says earlier in chapter two. And we never come to this place where we recognize that what I have actually been trying to do is I've been trying to build an image of myself. I've been trying to bolster this image through the power that I project and the life that I live and the beauty that I emanate. And ultimately, what is all of this rooted in? It is rooted in the central issue that humanity has which started back in the garden where Adam and Eve should have received their value and their glory and their worth and their dignity from God. It comes as a conduit in relationship to God as they're walking in the garden with him, as they're spending time with him. And yet what ends up taking place in that situation which then set the prototype for all situations after and is ingrained into who we are in, from our first parents. It's, it's passed down from one generation to another that at the core of my being, I desire to create an image that says, God, I no longer will receive my glory through you and what you think and what you value about me and working toward your kingdom but I will receive my value by taking matters into my own hands. Because as the snake who is Satan, who comes to, to Eve and says to her, don't worry about what God says. God knows that when you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like him. You're going to be your own God. You're gonna, you're, you are going to be able to discover what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad. You're going to be able to discern you know, what, what your image should be like. You can be your own God. And there's many of us sitting in this room that have never been talked out of the lie, never had spiritual experience to the, to the degree that we come to a place where we actually have conversion that saves us from our hope and our trust in the image that we've been creating and, and, and say, you know what? I want the image of God in my life. I want the image of God. Now, why does this take place? Why does this take place? Jonathan Edwards has a fantastic uh, sermon called a, a Divine and Supernatural Light. And he is really asserting, I mean, it's such a great sermon. I, I really encourage you, it, you can find it online. Search Edwards and then um, honey, and you'll, you'll find the word honey. 
Um, I could end badly, though, too, so just be, be careful. But um, Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, There's a, there is a difference between having like this superficial knowledge of God and then actually being transformed by it. He says this. There is a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having a sense of the loveliness and beauty of that holiness and grace, there's a difference between saying, like Nebuchadnezzar, yeah, truly your God is God of gods, and then having this sense of this incredible love for who God is and what he's like. He goes on. There's a difference between having a rational judgment that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. Like, I can believe that honey is sweet. I, like, someone's told me that it's sweet. They described it for me while they were eating it. And yet, I've never tasted it. And the two are vastly different things. Vastly different. A man may have the former that knows not how honey tastes. But a man cannot have the latter unless he has an idea of the taste of honey in his, in his mind. So there is a difference between believing that a person is beautiful and having a sense of his beauty. The, form, uh, the former may be obtained by hearsay, but the latter only by seeing the countenance. There is a wide difference between mere speculative, rational, judging anything to be excellent and having a sense of its sweetness and beauty. The former rests only in the head. Speculation only is concerned in it, but the heart is concerned in the latter. Has, has your mind been changed? That's good, but has your heart been changed? Has, has your, ha, do you have information about God without actually the transformation of God? Do you, do you know that someone's told you that honey is sweet, that God is amazing? And you can watch people with the rest of them in, in the church gathering and say, this is good, this is good. I love how we worship together. But are you a worshiper? Because like Edwards says this, that like when, when you have a sense of that sweetness, if you've tasted it, like it changes the way that you talk about it. It changes the way that you live. It changes something in you. And the question for us is this, are we not just like Nebuchadnezzar, we've had experience with God, and yet we're not walking with him. We're not with him in this sense that God has called us to. We're, we're really into building our own image, and we come to the church to say, how do I improve my image? We come to God and say, help me have a better image in my family. We do that when we come to the word, and we say, how does this apply to me alone? Because what we're looking for is we're saying, I want the word of God just to help me figure out how to make life work better. The Bible can do that, but it's not just that. Because the, the Bible has wise statements in it that are widely recognized, and you can get that wisdom, but you cannot get the full wisdom of God that only comes through the power of the Spirit of God 
in your life. So how do you get it? How do you get it? Let let me first read this. It says, verse 7, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. They were threatened with death, but ultimately they were driven to do this. They were driven to do this. How do we keep ourselves from this? We've got to look at our lives. We've got to look at the, the makeup of what our lives are. In Romans, one of my most favorite series of verses begins in Romans 11, verse 33. And it says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Like the Apostle Paul in Romans is saying, God is awesome. And then he says this, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything's coming from him, it's going through him, and it is ultimately to him. Everything to him be glory forever, amen. The Apostle Paul says, and the reason why he's even started this statement like, oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom is that Paul has unpacked over and over again how incredible God is and how merciful he is to his creation. He started off with saying that humanity is hell-bent on worshiping and serving the created thing rather than the creator. It's all of our problem. And then he begins to unpack the gospel in finite detail. He gets so deep into the gospel of God and how God is saving all his people. He gets so deep into this, and he erupts into worship, and he just goes, God is so amazing. Like, his mercies are amazing. And, he, and this is what he picks up saying in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Like, if you know how incredible God is, If you've seen your image building, your desire to worship and serve the created thing, to create an image, this golden image, hey, everybody come worship uh, me or I'm going to kill you. Uh, Like if we could only see how we do that in our daily life. When you don't worship me in, in our marriage, like that's it, that's it, fiery furnace for you, right? When you don't worship me in the way that I do my job, when you don't worship me for the person that I am or the friend that I am or the value that I have in life, you are going into the fiery furnace. Look at our world today. If you do not validate who I am, the way that I want to be seen, however I am, you are going into the fiery furnace 
of the pits of Facebook and Twitter and you will be burned. That is our world. Worshiping and serving the created thing rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Paul says, this is how you change your mind. This is what has to change. This is how honey becomes sweet and not just a thought, but in a reality like I can taste God. I can sense him. I can feel him. This is how it happens. I urge you, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Like, understand your position. Understand where you've been. Understand how much you need a Savior. Understand it. And then you will see how incredible God is to have saved you. If you don't, if you think the image that I've been building is of a good Christian person and I don't do this and I don't do that, at least not in public, you'll never see the mercies of God because you think that you are merciful in and of yourself. You'll think that you have saved yourself. But the thrust of the, of the, the gospel says that if you see the mercy of God, you'll be amazed Life changes. You won't just be like Nebuchadnezzar. Life will change by the mercies of God. And what's he say? Like a life pours out of the person that experiences the mercy of God. And that life is this. Paul is saying, when you see the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Who cares what your passions are? Who cares what you want to do and what you don't want to do? What has God done for you? He died. The son died for you on the cross. He sacrificed himself. He bled out and he died. You present yourself as a living sacrifice. You sacrifice in your life. Not because it's getting you somewhere, but because you know that honey is sweet. Because you know that God is good. Because you see his mercies. It's not so that God will be merciful. It's because he has been merciful. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Enough with this garbage of I'm saved by grace. I don't got to worry about the stuff that I do. Enough with that. Holiness should be exemplified by God's people. Do you have a desire for holiness? Yes, there is Christian freedom. No, you, you, God does not release you from his hold, ever. If you are his, you are his forever. All that the Son has given the Father shall come to him, it says in John chapter 6. And I shall lose none, Jesus says. I'm not losing you. Jesus isn't walking away from you, no matter where your sin is at. But... What it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, who knows God, who knows Yahweh as a result. If you've, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. If you know Jesus, then you know the Father. And when you know the Father, you desire the holiness of the Father. You desire the righteous life that Jesus exemplifies on this earth. And are we people, young people in Salem, and there are some people who wouldn't classify themselves as young, but you're with us, and so I'm glad that you're here. Are, are we people, are we a church who says, holiness matters to me? 
Not to shout down someone else and say, you're unholy. No, it's to me. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So on Sunday mornings when we're singing together, like I said in the beginning, as we're worshiping, it's not saying, yes, I've arrived. Look at me. Here's all the things I'm going to do for you, God. What's the bridge? I don't know. I'm so good. I'm so good. I'm so good. It's saying, no, he is God and I am not. I'm a, I am a sinner saved by grace. And he has saved me. He has reconciled me to the Father. And when we don't believe it, we sing it to our heart and just say, oh yeah, heart? Listen to this. Ah, ah. Oh yeah, you're not believing that? No, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to get it into me. i got to get it in there. We sing the songs of God in our lives, and we remind ourselves of who this God is that we serve. How do you find out that honey is sweet? How do you find out that God is good? It's because you see his mercies. You see his incredible holiness in spite of your sin. And his, his willingness to save you. And you respond in worship and you say, you're such an incredible God to save me. Regardless. I'm out of time. Let, let, let's just land there. Let's pray. Lord God, so many of us in this room have... have We, we are building an image of ourselves and we don't even know it. We think that somehow we, that, that we are smarter, that somehow we can overcome this kingdom like Nebuchadnezzar. Oh yeah, I'll just build my image anyway. But God, would you reveal to us the brokenness of our kingdom? Would you reveal to us the brokenness of who we are? Would you change us, change our minds? Lord God, we pray that you would dash our hopes and dreams so that we can find the real hope and dream of the mercies of God found in Jesus Christ, crucified on a cross for us.